If you're anything like me, uh, summer just hit us with a vengeance these last few days, didn't it, right? Like two weeks ago, it was 55 and rainy. Man, now it's blistering hot. So bring on the popsicles, the ice cream truck, whatever it is, the pool time. Bring it all on because summer is here. And uh, we're so glad that you're here this morning. My name is Brandon. I'm the executive pastor here, and I get to oversee and work with, as you heard, with our outposts. So glad to have Pastor Greg on the team. And, and with me this morning is one of our uh, location pastors. He just started with us a couple weeks ago. He's going to launch our location downtown on Mass Avenue. So would you just welcome John Jones? He's going to be sharing with us this morning as well. Thanks, Brandon. You know, I've been laughing because every service he keeps saying, dude, summer's here, summer's coming. We stepped out of Starbucks yesterday. It was like 90 degrees. And he's like, oh man, I'm going to melt. And I was like, dude, this is like a balmy spring in Dallas. This is wonderful. Like we're getting ready for like 115, 118 degrees. So man, I like you guys. This is great. This 90 degree weather. This is good stuff. Well, we did just move here a couple weeks ago. We are excited to knit our hearts together with you guys and get to join in and see what God is doing uh, through us here at Mercy Road. And as we always say here, church is a hospital for sinners. It is not a museum for saints. And also that no one is too far from God to experience life change through Jesus Christ. And we mean both of those things. This morning, if you stepped in the room and you think you're too far, that maybe God can't do something in you, not the case. Today could be the day that God does something special inside of your heart so that you walk out of these doors different than you walked in them. And we're really excited about that possibility this morning. If you're watching us online, welcome. It's good to see you guys. We are going to get started this morning, and we're going to be kind of co-teaching today. We're going to talk a little bit about community, and specifically about how community changes the reality of who and what we are. And I don't know about you, Brandon, but I've needed community in my life really badly in the past couple months. And You've been the same, right? Yeah, we've ex we didn't move across the country, but we have had a change in our family. My, my wife and I, we welcomed our second daughter uh, just four weeks ago. And so these are our daughters, Nora and Lucy. Yes, we are the family with matching shirts now. Um, you don't want to see me in that top. Um, but, uh, you know, we're so, it's been so awesome. And if you've had a conversation with me in the last, like, month and I've just stared into space, I apologize, a little sleep deprived, or if I wasn't tracking with you or if I wasn't making sense. But it, we're so blessed, excited, privileged to have Lucy into our family. And Nora, our oldest, our three-year-old, she is just loving. She was, like, made to be a big sister and boss somebody around, and she's getting getting into that already. But, you know, what's, what's been amazing is people in our outpost that we live on mission with, they started this thing called a meal train. Have you ever heard of one of these fantastic things? People are just sh magically show up, like they're the little dinner elves. They just show up at your house, they bring you food, and you're like, this is such, honestly, it's made life so much easier. It's like people have been helping us out together going through this new season as a family. It's been such an awesome blessing to have that. Yesterday, I don't know if they were like trying to tell me something, you know, but like they just dropped off smoothies <laughs> randomly. They're like, we think this guy needs a little bit of a health smoothie. Um, but yeah, bring on the smoothies too, baby. And uh, so it's been this fun season for us to have community in it with us as we go through this next chapter of life. And, you know, John, we're so glad that you're here. We're so glad that your family's here in this next chapter of ministry for Mercy Road Church, but also this next chapter of your family, man. Yeah, and we're excited to get started on the next chapter because it's been a couple months 
of a really difficult journey for us. Uh, so nine months ago, we started kind of looking, seeing where God might take us next as a family and what church we could join in with. And we became smitten with you guys pretty quickly. And so once we'd agreed and, and we'd said, hey, this is definitely where we're headed, there's kind of that like couple month gap, right? Where you're like trying to sell your house, you know, you're changing your, your mail, you're doing all those things that like seem like it should be like real quick and they never are, right? And as we were doing that, literally anything that could go wrong was going wrong. We get an offer on our house within 24 hours, and we're like super excited to sell it, and we think everything's going to go smooth, and then like literally just a couple days later, the offer just falls through all of a sudden. They just step out of the way. Uh, it, it, we had sickness happening in our family. We had hospital visits happening in our family. My wife calls me one morning on her way to work, and she's like, hey, um, there's... I think smoke coming from the engine of our car. And I said, you think or you know that there's smoke coming from the car? And she's like, you could hear her kind of like look sideways at the car and be like, yeah, there's definitely smoke coming out of the car. There's people staring at me right now. And I'm like, pull over, pull over right now. And those kind of things kept building and compounding on one another. And you ever been to one of those points in life where you just kind of sit and, and you just stare at each other and you just say, it wasn't supposed to be this hard? You know, tears welling up in our eyes, just going like, how the heck are we going to make it up to Indianapolis if, if it keeps falling apart like this? And in the middle of that, what mattered deeply to us and what ended up getting us here was community. Uh, we had people that surrounded us and that kept holding us up and that kept taking care of us to the point where two of our friends said, hey, can, can we actually drive with you up there? Can we help drive the moving truck? Can we get you guys up to Indianapolis? One of those guys is not a follower of Christ at all, far from God. And yet he said, but I believe you know God, and I believe that you are supposed to be serving Jesus as a pastor, so can I help move you up there? That's pretty crazy, right? Like, that doesn't just happen. That's the kind of thing that like shifts and changes you as a person. And so today, we're going to focus a little bit on that tension about community changing your world. And for most of us, we've experienced some form of community before, whether it's, you know, having a child and having people bring you meals, whether it's, you know, you've had sickness in your family and there's been people that come around you and pray and check in on you. Uh, I'm sure you guys have had community at different stages, but we also kind of need to acknowledge something else. There's a lot of us that have been burned by community, right? where you thought you had a deep community and that community ended up falling apart at the worst possible time for you or ended up ditching you right when you needed them most. And so for some of us, there's a deep heartache when we start talking about community. Today, we want to fix that heartache and begin to say, hey, how do we find new expressions of community that begin to serve and take care of others in new ways? And so we're going to do that today. We're going to be focusing in Luke 5. But before we get there, would it be all right if I pray real quick? We haven't used up all the prayer this morning, right? We cool with that? All right. Let's pray. God, we are truly excited for what we think you're going to do, God. We think you're going to change our hearts and minds once again today, that you're going to renew us. We know you're present in this space right now, and so we ask that you would make yourself known, that you would speak through Brandon and I that the words that come out of our mouths would not be our own, Father, but they'd be words full of life and hope and truth that come from you. God, open up hearts and minds to be able to hear it, that we can be reshaped that the core parts of us can be cleaned out one more time, God, that we might follow you even better. Lord, we love you and we thank you. Amen. So in Luke 5, we're going to be looking at, at, at a crowded event. You guys ever had one of those like events that sells out real quick that you want to get into and you just don't have a pathway into it? So a couple of years back, uh, my Trailblazers, I'm a big fan of the Portland Trailblazers NBA. I haven't been converted to the gospel of the Pacers yet. Boo. Um, but... 
in my apostasy, apparently. Uh, a couple of years ago, we, uh, we made it to the playoffs, and it had been a minute since we'd been in the playoffs. I know you guys get to the playoffs all the time, but for us, this was kind of, this is a special thing for us to get there, right? We get there, and I wanted nothing more than to go to game one, to be able to sit there and breathe in the playoff experience, the excitement, the energy, the joy. And you know how this goes, right? You get excited for the tickets, you're like, hey, they're going on sale 10 a.m., I gotta be online immediately to get those tickets, and what ends up happening? you lose out, right? Because where do all the tickets go? They go to the season ticket holders, they go to the people who had connections to the front office or friends of friends who had tickets. Goes to the people who had way more money than me that could buy the nicer tickets, right? All that kind of stuff. And I remember getting totally frozen out and just being like depressed, being like, I don't get to be a part of the fun and the love and the energy that's gonna happen inside of that arena. But Somebody used their privilege on my behalf. Turns out, in my last church, we had this couple who had season tickets, fifth row season tickets, right behind the visitor's bench, so you can actually hear them talking and kind of heckle them. It's really fun to sit there. And they said, you know what? Um, we're actually going to be gone um, for the game that's happening in a couple nights. It's game one of the playoffs. Would you want the tickets? Took everything inside of me. You know, inside I'm going like, I'm doing my little dance. I'm getting excited. Right? Uh, you know, externally, I'm like, oh, there's a game happening. Oh, yeah, that'd be, I, let me check my calendar. Yeah, I can could, I could take, take those tickets. That'd be, that'd be cool. I'll take them. So I get these tickets, and I get access into the center of the action because somebody else offered it for me. And today, we're going to see a story from the Bible of how people use their privilege and their access to help somebody else. And so feel free to turn on your Bibles on your phones, or if you're an analog Bible kind of person, there's a Bible in the seat right in front of you there. We'll also have it up on the screens. We're going to be turning to uh, chapter 5 of Luke, if you want to get there ahead of time. Verse 17 is where we're going to start. But before we get there, let me give you just a touch of background. This is happening in, in Capernaum, and specifically, this is the third story that's happening in Luke 5. The first one is uh, Peter, one of Jesus' disciples. He's been out fishing, and at that point, his name is Simon. And, uh, and Jesus says, hey, pull your nets on the other side of the boat. There's a bunch of fish that come in, and all of a sudden, Peter's name is changed uh, to, uh, from Simon to Peter. And he decides to follow Jesus with all all of his life. Second story, there's a guy who's healed from leprosy. He's got a skin condition, a skin disease, and Jesus ends up healing it. And so because of these things, a little bit of hype starts to build. And so Peter is like one of these people who's super hyped on Jesus. And so what does he do? He invites the entire crew over to his mother-in-law's house, right? Because what says party? Like, let's go over to my mother-in-law's, right? And so literally everybody goes over to his mother-in-law's house. It is a packed house, not just packed like hey, you know, we used up all the chairs, but people are like sitting on the ground. There's people staring in through the windows. There's like a ring two or three deep outside of the house just straining to hear what's happening. And who are the people that are in that room? Well, just like today, it was the privileged, right? It was the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the people who had access, who could get their way in and everybody kind of stepped out and was like, yeah, you should probably get in there right then, right? And so we're about to hear a story of somebody who really wants to be in that room, to be close and have access and how this comes about. Now, this is early in Jesus' public ministry, right? So the hype is beginning to build. All this is going on, and that is where we center. So if you look with me, Luke 5, verse 17. One day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They'd come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Now, the same exact story is recorded in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verse 2. He puts it a little bit differently, but he gives us a little bit more uh, color to the story. He says, they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached to them. So we got a packed house, no more tickets, 
what happens next in the story? Yeah, I mean, like John was saying, it was kind of like at the beginning of Jesus's public ministry. And so they maybe heard some rumors about like this miracle man or this wise teacher. And people were curious. People were coming from all over just to like see who this guy was. And so, yeah, you had the religious leaders and the Pharisees of the day in the, in the house. But then you had just wall-to-wall people around the house. So it's packed out. And, and then we get into this, this narrative of Luke 5.18, and it just says this. It says, some men, we don't know much about these men. They're regular, ordinary guys, but some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. And I want us to kind of look into this story with some of the cultural lenses from back then. So here's what we know. We, we know there's some men, and they, and they want to carry their friend who's paralyzed to go see Jesus. You see, back then, if you were paralyzed or, or if you had an, a physical ailment, if you were blind, whatever it might be, it was considered that you had been, like, basically smitten by God. You'd been smote, right? Like, God had struck you down, that he was cursing your family, which wasn't the case, but that's what was believed back then. So you, if somebody had a physical ailment, you wouldn't get in proximity to them. You wouldn't want to be around them. You wouldn't want to associate with them. It would bring your reputation down because they were the worst of sinners. But here we have four friends, four guys. We don't know how long they had known this man. Maybe they'd been known him for years. Maybe they had been buddies back in middle school. We, we don't know. But they said, instead of us getting up there and getting our place in line or getting into the house so we could see Jesus, we're going to slow down a little bit and we're going to carry a corner of your mat and get you there. But I imagine the paralyzed guy that was laying down was maybe thinking something like this. We don't know for sure. But when we think about the cultural context, maybe thinking like, you know what? Someone's tried to take me to a miracle man before. I'm not really up for this. Or you want to take me to a large crowd where people don't want to be around me. And another reminder of how much of a failure and disappointment I am to society. No thanks, I'll pass. But these friends, these guys, they insisted. And they said, you don't have a choice. You're coming with us. And they picked him up. They each grabbed a corner of the mat. They walked a couple of miles and brought him to this house. Together they realized, we're going to do everything we can to get you to this guy, Jesus, because if the rumors are true on who he says he is and what we've heard about him, we believe that your reality can change. So they get there, and they're full of excitement, okay? And, and, and they get there, and they realize, man, we can't even get in the earshot. We can't even have information passed back to us because it's just wall-to-wall, and there's people outside of the house, and, and we can't even get near. And I, I imagine the guy on the mat was probably thinking, I told you idiots. This again, another disappointment in my life. Go figure. But then I imagine that these guys kind of got together to strategize, right? What, what, what do guys do when they come up into a problem? They bro huddle. And 99 times out of 100, in a bro huddle, good things don't happen. It's usually bad ideas. And there's that one crazy guy in every friend group that you're like, not now, Billy. Like, we, this is not the time for you to show your wings of, of your great ideas. But they get together and they're like, what do we do? They start looking around. What about the roof? We can't get in the front door. We can't get in the window. We can't get an earshot. What if we climb up on the roof. Now, this wasn't like a garden terrace that you could just like hang out on and like get a good view. It was a clay tiled roof. There's probably sticks over it and they start pulling up this roof and then they start stomping, pulling these things up. 
while Jesus is preaching, okay? Like they're interrupting the Lord himself preaching these religious leaders. And I'm sure the religious leaders are like, what is wrong with the infrastructure of this house? Golly gee, we should do something about this. They hear this again, something is happening. Something's going on. And they pull up the tiles of this roof. They climb down and probably awkwardly maneuver their friend on the mat up and through this hole in the roof and put him right before Jesus. Can you imagine the expression on Jesus' face? Even Jesus was probably thinking like, even for me, never seen this one. This is a creative idea. Like this hasn't happened quite yet. And we see in Luke 5, 19, it says, when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Now imagine the reaction of the religious leaders and the Pharisees of the day. They're probably not smiling. You're putting this sinner near us. You're giving him the best seat in the house before Jesus. Don't you know what it took for us to reach the status and to be able to get access to this room? And you're bringing this person of all people in front of Jesus? I just, I would love to see the expression, the smile on Jesus' face, like, bring him on, baby. They literally, these four friends, did everything they could to point their friend to Jesus, to bring their friend to Jesus. They picked up the corners of the mat. They sacrificed their own potential seat or space near the house to hear Jesus' teaching and said, we're going to get him there. And, and, and when we hit an obstacle, we're not going to stop. We're going to get creative. We're going to find a way. We're going to wreck somebody's. Peter's mother-in-law, she's probably just had it. She's just walked out at this point like, I'm out of here, Peter. You're never invited again. But like her roof is opened up, and there's this guy that's paralyzed in her house now. They found a creative way to do everything they could to point their friend to Jesus. And what we see here is that their compassion was absolutely relentless. Their compassion was relentless. They weren't going to give up even when they hit some obstacles. I like that you say that it was creative, right? That's a generous reading of it, right? This isn't just creative. This is like unorthodox to the max. These guys are up there, and, and probably there's somebody calling, like, the local cops, right? There's somebody being like, hey, can you get down here? There's, there's people destroying a roof. We're trying to have, like, a service going on. If you could just check in on them, that would be great. And these guys, their compassion is so relentless that they don't fear being stopped by anybody. They don't fear the consequences of what's going to happen. All they know is that they are tenacious in their mission to get their friend right in front of Jesus. See, they can't make him, like, you know, fix him or anything like that, but they can bring him right to the feet of Jesus because they trust that this guy might be able to do something different. And so in this moment, the anticipation's building, right? He gets dropped down onto the floor, and then we see in Luke 5.20 what happens, right? When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. <laughs> say what? If you're one of the friends up on the roof, you're like, dude, did he just say his sins are forgiven? Does he know his legs are broken? Like, Hey, Jesus, Jesus, it's the legs. We dropped him for the legs, the legs. You know, you got the friend on the opposite side saying, I told you not to drop him during the theology teaching. It's supposed to wait till later, right? And in those moments, you wonder if the, the crippled man was sitting there, was he disappointed? Or was there something different to what Jesus did inside of him? Because what Jesus is doing in this moment is something impressive, right? He's saying, hey, your exterior needs are important. It's important that the, the sadness and the sicknesses and the things that you need me to heal, but what's even more important is what is happening inside of you. 
inside of your soul, inside of your heart, that interior life that nobody else knows, but that you, where you're talking, all that stuff, that needs to be healed. And before that's healed, we could heal the exterior stuff. I could fix your legs. You could walk out of here, and you still might not be whole. You might still have a big, deep, deep cavern inside of you because you haven't been healed and forgiven. And so Jesus starts first and says, hey, you are forgiven. Now, the friends on the roof are probably irritated. The guys inside are probably really, really angry because they're looking and saying, did he just say he forgives him of sin? Like, come on, guys. The only person that can forgive sin is God. Uh, oh, Jesus is claiming to be the Son of God right in front of their eyes. And he's telling us that the most amazing miracle that can happen isn't just healing somebody's legs, but it's actually fixing the core of who they are. And maybe you've stepped in the room this morning in a similar way. Maybe you came in thinking, I really need God to show up in this specific way. I need him to heal my relationship. I need him to heal my marriage. I need him to fix my kids. Man, if only he would just bring me that job that I've been just pining after. And you're sitting here saying, God, fix these exterior things. And what God is saying is he's looking at you and saying, hey, inside of you, there are hurts and brokennesses that you don't know exist. There are corners to your soul that need to be fixed and healed. And those things are important out there too. But let's heal you in the most holistic way possible. So, back to the story. Drama begins to pick up. Verse 21. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Isn't it awesome that they use the word fellow? They're <laughs> calling Jesus a fellow. Who's that fellow? Uh, who can forgive sins but God alone? Next verse. Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you asking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Now, if you're one of the people in this crowd, this is what you showed up for. This is what the ticket of, to admission was worth, right? This is why you wanted to be in the room. You want to see the hype happening in real time, and you just saw it happen. It changed this guy's life. He walks out. He gets to go home and see his family for the first time in a long time. He gets to start working and providing for himself. He gets to make his own meal tonight. This guy finally gets to walk back into the temple for the first time in probably a long time inside of his life. It mattered greatly. But... For the rest of this time, we want to focus on the people who stopped showing up in the story. Those four guys, right? Because what's fascinating is that Jesus honors the faith of those four guys. They believed so deeply that Jesus was different, that he does things that are impossible to do, that they were willing to stake their reputations, they're willing to stake people laughing at them, to get in the cops called on them, they're willing to destroy property, they're willing to do whatever it takes to get their friend in front of Jesus, and Jesus honored that level of faith inside of them. Imagine if just like one guy had shown up and been like, hey, you three, you go to the, you go to the meeting, I'll catch up with you, I'm going to help this guy out real quick, and he's like dragging the mat, and the guy's like, dude, just stop, this isn't even fun, let's not do this. Imagine if two guys had tried, and they're each pulling on one corner, and they pull, and the guy just rolls off the back end, he's like, awesome, thanks, you guys are awesome, that's really great, right? What it took was not one or two people, it took a community, right? It took a bunch of people all surrounding and saying, you know what, let's work on behalf of him. Let's make sure that he gets in front of Jesus. Uh, we don't know what will happen. We don't know if Jesus is going to fix him or not, but I think he could. And so the question, of course, for you guys this morning is this, is whose corner of the mat are you going to be willing to carry? 
when you look around, who do you see that needs to be carried? Not just by yourself, not just you and one other person. Who are you going to join with in community to be able to carry a mat? And one of the best ways we think to join a community is through Outposts. Yeah, and we're going to talk a little bit about that here in just a few minutes, but I, I kind of want to share you know, my personal story of how people did this for me. You know, in the metaphorical sense of being that person that was down on the mat that, like, didn't know that I, there was a better way to life with Jesus. You know, I didn't grow up in church. Uh, some of you can identify with that. You didn't grow up in church. Others of you maybe been to church your, your whole life. But that wasn't my story. And uh, I remember I had these two friends that I played sports with, right, like basketball and soccer and all that stuff. And they would always invite me to their church thing. They would never force it on me. But they'd say, hey, we're going to this thing. Do you want to come? No, you know that I don't do that. Like, don't, don't do the spiritual stuff. Like, I'm not into that. I like you. You're cool. But that's your thing, not my thing. And so we started, you know, they would eventually sometimes kind of tell me when I'd be hanging out at their house, like a little bit about how God was changing their life. I'm like, that's cool for you. Definitely not for me. Well, one day there was, I was going through some tough stuff in my life and, and they invited me to this thing. And I knew that there was a pretty girl going. So I was like, yeah, maybe I'll go this one time. And I showed up, and there was a, a guy, and his name was Ben, and he was a senior in high school. He was an all-state basketball player, and he was just a stud, and I really looked up to him. And he shared his testimony. I was like, a test of what? I don't even know what that means. But he was sharing his story of faith in Jesus, how Jesus had changed his life. And I remember talking to my friends afterwards, and I'm like, you know that Jesus stuff you talk about? I think I need that. And remember this verse, 1 John 1, 9, if, if you confess your sins with your mouth, Jesus is faithful and just to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And I knew I needed that in that moment. And so I asked my friends, I'm like, would you walk me through this? And they helped me see my need for Jesus, gave my life to Christ, made him Lord of my life. And I think for the young people in this room, I just want to remind you what I found out during this time, I was 15 years old, that when these guys were 13, Dorito-eating Mountain Dew burping, pimple popping teenagers, these two guys day in and day out prayed for me. For two years, they made a pact that they were going to pray for me that I would come to know Jesus. They didn't have all the theology figured out. They didn't know all the ins and outs about the Old Testament or about the life of Jesus, but they knew that Jesus had changed them and that they wanted to share that with their friend. And there are some of you that have been in church for a long time, sitting maybe on your hands, and it's a reminder that if God can use two 13-year-old boys to pray a simple prayer that are Dorito-eating, Mountain Dew-burping, pimple-popping teenagers, that he can certainly use somebody like you for good in his kingdom. And, and what I know is true as I look back at that story of the mat, these were the people who carried the corners of my mat. And little did they know that a month and a half later that my mother would give her life to Jesus. I had the opportunity to walk with my mom to become a Christian. Three months later, my parents were going through a really tough time in their marriage. We hadn't really been talking to my dad. Three months later, my dad gets in the car and goes to church with us, later gives his life to Jesus, okay? All because of 13-year-old boys who got on their knees and prayed together for their, this teenage boy and said, we want to do something a little bit different. We're going to do everything we can to point that person to Jesus. And little did they know that when they would pray that prayer, then my dad would become a Christian, and then he would lead some of his siblings to Christ. Little did they know that three years ago, after years and years of us praying as a family, that my sister would give her life to Christ. Not because of what we did, but because of the power of God that he gives us in our lives. And so I'm wondering, yeah, amen. <laughs> And so I'm wondering for you today, 
Who's that one person that you could carry a corner of the mat? You can't make them make that decision of faith. Who's that relative or family member that feels too far gone? For some of you, you have wept over a child that has run far away from the Lord. I want to tell you, if you've been praying for 18 years, go for 19. You never know what God is going to do. Like, he's going to be faithful. He's going to do everything he can in and through you, and it's going to be their decision. Miracles can still happen in people's lives. Transformation for the people who are far, far gone from God. Don't give up on them. For some of you, it just maybe starts with a neighbor. Maybe it's that neighbor. That neighbor in my neighborhood who is lighting off fireworks at 10 p.m. every night, and we just got both of the kids finally asleep at the same time. I need to start praying for that neighbor, I think. But maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a classmate. Maybe it's an old friend from back in your hometown. Maybe, maybe it's one of your adult children or grandkids. You see, people have carried corners of our mat. Most importantly, Jesus carried the whole mat, <laughs> made a new way, transformed this guy in a moment, and he can do the exact same thing to us today. He can heal the brokenness inside of us, the sin that weighs us down, and bring us into new life eternal through Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, the only way through life change through Jesus. You know what I love about this church is that the saying of live boldly and love deeply, right? Because that's what we see modeled in Scripture and I look at some of the faces in here of people that I know, and I know how they're living on mission for God. And I just want to tell you it's inspiring. It's encouraging. It's what makes this family, this church family so unique is that we said, you know what? Let's be generous, right? Like this is the time Ethan and Josh talked about this last week, the time for the professional Christian, it's over. What we see in the New Testament is the priesthood of all believers, everybody in the family of God. You don't have to have all the answers, but we can point people to Jesus and live on mission in a very unique way. That these areas that you may be passionate about, the parts of town that you maybe live in, and you're saying, I, where I live, work, and play, I want to make a difference. I want to reach people for God's kingdom. I want to reach into the lowest of low places the, where there's broken socioeconomic stuff going on, where there's broken cultural stuff going on, or maybe it's just right next door with your hurting neighbor. Outposts are gatherings of people who focus on mission. They work on a missional project. It combines community, and spiritual growth happens as we go and live on mission together. Our outposts, you can apply for, like, financial grants. through. The, that's the way that we budget the church. We have lean operation budgets, so we can go and send people out on mission and help you with this thing that God has put in your heart, and we're serious about it. And the truth is, is we're not just going to go launch four new worship services. We're launching new churches, and these churches will have amazing worship services, but the underground aspect of who we are is something that we want to multiply in Fishers. It's something we want to multiply in Anderson. It's something we want to multiply downtown on Mass Ave. It's something we want to multiply near Michigan Road. And so there may be a nonprofit that you've got a passion for. Maybe there's an idea and a ministry that you've always had in the back of your mind and your heart. And we want to say, let's go. Like, let's do it. The time is now. If we don't do it, who will? If the bride of Christ of God God's family, the, the kingdom of God does not push this forward. Who will? And we get to join him. He's given us an invitation to say, you know what? Jeff isn't perfect, but God's going to use him and use him in a great way to reach artists in this community. And we want to give you permission in the areas and the spaces and places where you live, work, and play to go live on mission. And we want to walk with you side by side. And I just want to celebrate what God is already doing. This is God's glory, what he's doing in and through his people. We have outposts that are reaching refugee and international families. 
There are people who are going into prisons and ministering to prisoners. We have people who are weekly working with addicts, people who are working with the homeless, people who are, who are doing stuff in their neighborhood, people who are partnering with nonprofits, people who are reaching artists and, and, and want to do that on Mass Avenue, graphic designers and bloggers. There's, there's even like riches in here right now. We have a wrestling ministry. Like what? Like, a re- like WWE style wrestling. We tear, they tear down the chairs. They set up a ring. There's wrestling matches. And I've literally met some of the people who've given their lives to Christ through this crazy ministry. They have an event coming up this next Friday if you want to check it out. And we're reaching inner city youth through outposts. Uh, there's an outpost called I Am Mother of the Year. This is for moms to know that you have a community and a space and a place for you. People doing ministry with hockey. Like I see Jeff's in here, like doing hockey ministry. We, we're saying and we're mean it and we're serious. If you have a passion about a certain thing, a certain talent, some of you career and business skills and entrepreneur skills, let's put them to use for God's kingdom. Like let's invite you in. Let's walk alongside you and see what God might do. Because the greater Indianapolis area has people laying on the mat that are stuck they are broken and it may not always seem like we see it on the outside physically but you know that family that's got some dark spiritual things happening and they maybe need a neighbor that they can lean into they need somebody who's going to pioneer something new that's going to hold their hands open and see, God, would you use me to make an impact, to leave a legacy that would honor you? Lord, may my simple carrying a corner of the mat bring you glory as we do this together. And as you identify that passion, that area that God is maybe stirring in your heart, I bet there's probably somebody else in this church or in this community that's with you on that too. Literally had somebody in the last service say, I think I have this passion to do stuff for families of, of people who have people in the military, and a guy asked me the same thing last night. Like, how could we bless those families? I'm like, okay, like, you guys need to meet. Like, let's do this. Like, let's figure this out. And so if this is you, and, and if you're not sure where to start, we've got your Connect card. You could just say, I'm interested in Outpost. We'll set up a meeting. We've got somebody so wise and Greg Strand on the team now. Uh, you know, he and I are going to work together with location pastors on this stuff. But we want to start, as we get ready to launch at Michigan Road in downtown very much, you know, very soon this fall, we need to get some people living on mission in those areas around where those church facilities will be because we want to start making an impact today. <laughs> Not in three months when a building opens or two months when a building opens, but we want to do it today and we want to invite you into that. And so it's just a great reminder in this passage for us today as a church family, like whose corner of the map will we carry this week? The invitation exists this morning to write a different future. The, the, the course and the trajectory that history is on right now, that it's going inside of the Indianapolis area, inside of Keystone and Fishers and, and Michigan Road and, and, and down on Mass Avenue. That trajectory is not the way it has to go. That with Jesus, we can write a different future for the people around us. And we become the people that become the authors of that future. And so I will do everything I can to point someone to Jesus. Will you do the same? Will you give yourself up? Will you sacrifice some of what you have in order to bring somebody else closer and present them in front of Jesus. See, his friends, their compassion set their compass, and their compass was pointed directly at Jesus. Where is your compass pointed this morning? And this week, as you walk out the doors, as you leave, hopefully God is tapping on your heart. Hopefully God is, is putting something in the back of your brain that says, hey, what about them? 
What about that person? What about these people over here? Whose corner of the mat will you be carrying? And, and how could you be doing that? Could you be doing that through an outpost? Could you be doing that through joining in with one of the location launches? What kind of future do you want to help author in the lives of the people around you? Our spiritual fruit can carry over to their lives, and that's what we want to be able to be a part of. Will you join me as we pray? God, we are excited for what you are doing right now in people's hearts and minds. God, as we consider carrying the mat for others, as we consider using our privilege on behalf of those who don't have it, will you give us wisdom? Will you give us eyes to see the broken places, the corners, the people who are forgotten, the people who are overlooked, even, even the people in our lives who are next door to us, God? Will you give us hearts to love them well? Will you point our compasses directly at, at yourself, Father, that we might be able to carry the mats, join in community and carry the mats for these people to get them close to Jesus? This morning, Father, we even think of people who maybe are, are not ready to carry a mat, the people who feel like they're on it themselves. God, will you work miracles in this room? Will you fix the souls and the hearts of those in this room, God? Will you clean us out? Will you fix the brokennesses in our life, God, that we might be able to walk again, that we might be able to become mat carriers ourselves? And God, if you're tapping on somebody's heart right now, God, I pray that just in these moments, you'd make it clear to them the direction and the path that you have for them going forward, that they might not just join in with the course of history, but they might become authors of a different future. God, work in us, work through us. Father, we love you, we trust you, and we want to do this all for your namesake. Amen.